0: Well, typically in the summer, we uh, have various preachers that are coming before you. And usually when they're coming from within our church, you already know them. Uh, But you may not yet know our preacher for today. Jim Stastny is going to be preaching God's Word to us today. Jim and his wife Linda have been worshiping with us since last summer. Uh, Linda joined shortly after they started worshiping, but Jim refused to join. Uh, (laughs) And the reason is because Jim is a retired minister in the OPC. Jim began in the Christian Reformed Church and then moved into the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is what the OPC is. He was a minister for 30 years, uh, and now they have moved to Murfreesboro and are worshiping with us. And so Jim is going to bring the word to us today, so I'd like to invite Jim to come on up. In the course of my ministry... I've had several opportunities to present God's Word in an African American church. And one of the things they did was they always started out by saying, Good morning, church. So, good morning, church. Good morning. Now, one of the things I would like to do a couple of personal remarks. First, I want to thank Brandon and Mitchell and the elders for this opportunity. Very few things give me as much joy. I'm going to tear up here. Give me as much joy as proclaiming God's word. It is an honor. And another thing, a privilege that I have when I stand in a pulpit is I get to look out at all these faces. And I see families. When I see families, you know what I see? I see kids. And what do kids do in church? They squirm and they wiggle and they make noise. And you know what I think? I think that's great. I think that's wonderful because it's better to have kids in church than to not have them. And sometimes you'll see me up here, all of a sudden I'll break out in a grin and maybe even start laughing because I've seen something out there. I have a privilege that most of you don't have. There's one other thing. I notice on the back wall there's a clock. You know what that clock means to ministers. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so don't be looking at your watches; it won't do you any good. Take your Bibles, open them to Psalm one hundred nineteen. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Don't worry. <laughs> going to start with verse fifty three. Psalmist writes, "Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give my life, give me life according to your promises. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors, my adversaries." but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now, in this passage, the psalmist goes back and forth talking to God. He has a complaint. He he complains about his adversaries. And yet, as he complains about his adversaries, he keeps going back to his trust in God and and how he relies on God's trust. And there in verse, I already lost it, uh, 156. Great is your mercy, O God. Now, normally, when I proclaim God's word, my sermons are exegetical. I go to the passage, I look for its point, I consider the verb tenses, the nouns, how they all relate to one another, I see how it flows. This morning, I'm not going to do that. This morning, I just want to look at that one word, mercy and what it means. So let's bow in prayer. Father, as we come before you, as we dare to open your word, as we dare, Lord, to think of your mercy, as we dare, Lord, to look into your nature, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you give us eyes to see, that you would give us minds to consider your truths. And then, Lord, when we leave, that you would give us voices to proclaim what we have come to to understand. And, Lord, be with your servant. Keep him from uttering falsehood. Keep him from doing wrong. Fill him with your spirit that your word may come alive in the hearts of your people. Amen. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is never give up on your prayers. Never give up on your prayers. Thirteen months ago, almost to the day, God answered a prayer that my wife and I have had for 30 years. 30 years we've been praying for something and hoping for something. And what were we praying and hoping for? That we might move to Tennessee. Now, there's many reasons why we wanted to move to Tennessee, and I won't won't enumerate them, but those reasons actually increased as time went on. So when you're going to move someplace, you have to consider a few things don't you one of the main things you're going to consider is where you're going to live well things to take in consideration is first of all family are we going to be close enough to family but almost as important if maybe even more important is where you're going to buy the house so we said One of the things that is going to determine that is where we're going to go to church. And when it comes to going to church, there are certain parameters that we want to take place or be there. First of all, that church had better hold God's word up as absolutely infallible, authoritative, make no bones about it. Then, has to have sound doctrine. Has to have sound I don't want to go to some wishy washy church. Then better have good preaching. Good good preaching, Mitchell. And it better have a God honoring worship style. And the fellowship needs to be warm. How do you find such a church? Well, thankfully, you have the Internet, so you start doing some research. And and then when you take trips down here, you visit a church or two. And then one Sunday morning, we drove into the parking lot. We parked over in that section over there that says visitors. We walked through those doors over there. We came through these doors here. And we sat right back there. I'm looking right now at the man who's sitting in the seat my wife was sitting in. And you know what we found? We found a good church. Now, people, I'm going to ask you to do something that's very un-Presbyterian. I know we're the frozen chosen. But if you believe this is a good church, I want to hear an amen. Let's hear it one more time. This is a good church. We started started worshiping thanks to COVID, or no thanks to COVID. We started worshiping uh, 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 online, but finally we broke down and started attending church. What wasn't long, before I noticed there was something going on here, there was a motif in this church something was being highlighted or highlighted in this church that isn't quite the same other places and that's the emphasis when we confess our sins about mercy every week we sing about god's mercy the Kyrie eleison This morning, we sang about God's mercy. And so, that's why I want to talk about mercy this morning. And what I want to talk about is the meaning of mercy, the manner of mercy, and the manifestation of mercy. Now, those designations are things that I... To be honest with you, I don't remember where I got them. And those are things that really do overlap one another in where they're going. But they're important. And so, first of all, we want to talk about the meaning of mercy. So now I was a uh, substitute school teacher for 15 years. Damascus High School, Damascus, Maryland. So I want to play teacher right now. I want everybody to reach up into your imaginations and pull out a sheet of paper. Then I want you to reach back into your imaginations and pull out a pen, pencil, or word processor. And then I want you to write down, mercy is. Got it? Have you written it? Pass it forward. As I look over these papers, oh, well, some of you understand it better than me. But some of you are a little bit like the great jazz Theologian monk who said, I don't have a definition of jazz. You're supposed to know it when you hear it. I don't have a definition of mercy, but I know it. I know it. Well, as we look at the definition of mercy, sometimes it's good to, talk about what it isn't in relationship to other things. First of all, it's not God's grace. God's grace is not God's mercy. Now, the two are related. But there's an easy way to remember God's grace, and this is an an acronym, which you may have heard before. But think of God's grace this way. God, G, riches are at a... Christ, see, expense. In grace, God gives you his riches because Christ paid for them. But mercy is not grace. And mercy is related to love, but it's not love in and of itself. And a little later, we're going to draw how these things come together. But God's love is agape love, or agape love, is he loves you not because there's something special in you. He loves you because he decided to love you. And at the heart of mercy, there's this concept. While grace gives you something, and love is God's affection for you, Mercy, you could almost think of it as saying, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Think of the publican in the temple on his knees, beating his chest. Lord, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Mercy is not any of those things. It's not giving you what you deserve because of grace and love. In this verse, the Hebrew word rachimim is often employed to describe the affectionate nature of a parent toward a child. That's what mercy is, the affectionate nature of a parent towards a child. In fact, the root of this word is related to the word womb. Womb. Where a child is safe. And secure and nourished. This morning, I got to meet a two-week-year-old baby. Two-week-old baby, amazing. Just two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, it was in the womb, where it's to be safe and secure, nourished by the mother, cared for by the mother. That's the idea of mercy. In terms of God's exercise of mercy, it includes such concepts as pity. Compassion, gentleness, forbearance, and mercy. God, because of his pity, because of his compassion, doesn't give us what we deserve, but gives us his tenderness, gives us his gentleness, gives us his love. Charles Hodge defines mercy as, the great Princeton theologian Charles Hodge defines mercy as, kindness, kindness exercised toward the miserable and includes pity, compassion, forbearance, and gentleness, gentleness, which the scriptures so abundantly ascribe to God. Now, while mercy, Grace, love are distinct. There is a relationship between them. And I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles out or your electronic Bibles out you want to join me, that's fine. You want to sit there and listen, that's good too. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, mind you, in these first three verses, Paul is talking to Christians, and he's describing what they were before Christ. Another way of saying it, Paul is saying this is the state of the non-Christian. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now is working the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying on, carrying about in the body, the mind, and, and by nature were children of wrath. Whew. That's bad news. That's horrid news. What a frightful, frightful place to be. Non-Christians should read that and tremble Literally tremble. Yet in verse 4, you have a little word, B-U-T. But, this is what's known as an adversative conjunction. Fancy words. Son, you may go to the party, but only if something's coming up. And let me tell you, this but here, is perhaps one of the most important adversative conjunctions in all of Scripture. Look at what a terrible condition you were in. But, but what? But God. Who? God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who rules over all. But God. And what about God? God being That's his state. There's a verb tense. This is what he is. Rich. Rich. You know, there's a guy Elon Musk. Everybody talks about how rich he is. He was able to fly himself into space or whatever. He's a pauper. He's got nothing. God is rich. But what is God rich in? Mercy. Ah, I see some heads nodding. Yeah. God being rich in mercy, and why? Because of the love with which he has loved you. And because he's rich in mercy, because of the love with which he has loved you, you are saved by grace. Now let me say something right now. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, something's wrong. You need some pastoral pastoral counseling. Because I'm up here thinking of that. I got goosebumps. I'm even tearing up. Because God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved me. Saved me by his grace. Gave me his riches at Christ's expense. I hope in some way. You've grown in your understanding in the meaning of mercy. But now I want to talk about the manner of mercy. How God's mercy works. There's a sense in which God is merciful to his creation in general. The Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all his works. But the question remains, is God merciful to the unsaved, to those who rebel against him, to those who fight him, who fight his morals, who fight his character? Well, there are verses that seem to indicate no. Psalm 5, verse five and six, The boastful shall not stand before thine eyes. Thou dost hate all who do iniquity. Thou dost destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But wait a minute, Jim, didn't you just read Psalm 145, 9? The Lord is good to all and his mercies are above all his works. How do you reconcile that? Can it be reconciled? Because, you know, I have to agree with Jonathan Edwards. He says, God is pleased to show mercy to his enemies according to his own sovereign pleasure. Though he is infinitely above all and stands in no need of creatures, yet he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms in the dust how do you reconcile Edward's statement again with these passages in Scripture? Think of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. You don't turn to it if you like, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Paul says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Those are terms that certainly can describe mercy and and be helpful in understanding mercy. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, leads to repentance? Yes, God does show mercy to those who hate him. But then those who continue to reject him, who continue to refuse to to acknowledge his mercy and his grace, will be, as Jonathan Edwards once said, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Make no bones about it, folks. Make no bones about it. But what, to what extent does God's mercy go? I'm going to give you a couple ideas, a couple thoughts. Here are some adjectives that describe God's mercy in the Bible. It's great. It's humongous. It extends throughout the universe. It has no bounds. It's very great. Very great. It's beyond great. It's very great. It's abundant. It's a great quantity of mercy. It's rich. It's as high as the heavens. And it's tender. Here comes the substitute teacher in me. I have a homework assignment for you. I'll be back in two weeks. I want you to go home, get out your Bible tools, and find as many descriptive terms for mercy that you can find. That's a good Lord's Day activity, is it not? Something to do. Spend a few minutes. You know, for God to show mercy, it's, it's instinctive, it's natural. It's the way he is. It's part of his character. And so we can, as the writer of Hebrew says, we can draw near with confidence, with boldness, to the throne of grace where we receive mercy where we receive mercy. His mercy is durable. It's untiring. It's inexhaustible. inexhaustible. Parents may say, I've had it. You've reached my limit. Uh Uh-uh, no more. God doesn't say that. You can't run out of his mercy. You can't exhaust it. Lord, is there just one more... (laughs) gram of mercy for me? He says, no. I've got a universe full of mercy for you. It's there for you. This this is the, the manner of God's mercy. But I told you we had three things to talk about. Meaning of mercy, the manner of mercy, and now the manifestation of mercy. How does God display his mercy in the world today? First of all, by not giving it what it deserves, right? I pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I look at Afghanistan. I look at the political situation. And I want to be a judge. I I I want action. But God says, "I I will be merciful. I will be merciful. We see it in God's providence and his daily care, his daily maintenance of his creation, especially his people. We see it in redemption. We see it in the mercy seat, where the priest would go in and pour the blood on the mercy seat to, I like to think, activate it to make it real. But there's two... Ways in which God shows his mercy to the world. One of those ways is through you. Now, I hope I don't don't frighten anybody right now, but I want to read Shakespeare. I'm not a great Shakespearean actor. And last time I had Shakespeare was in high school, and that was... Years ago. But the heiress of Belmont in the Shakespeare play The Merchant of Venues argues that mercy is a divine attribute and we make ourselves closer to God when we exercise it. Now, this is what she says The quality of mercy is not strained, it droppeth it down as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throne marked better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the heart of kings. It is an attribute of God himself, and earthly power doth then show like it's God's mercy, when mercy seasons justice. How does God manifest his mercy today? First of all, through you. As you are merciful to the miserable creatures around us, And I'm not being disparaging when I say miserable creatures around us because all around us outside of Christ are miserable. God shows his mercy through you when you reach out to the unwashed. When you reach out to the destitute. When you reach out to the fearful, when you reach out to the unloved. There has got to be justice, because mercy without justice is nothing. But you are to show mercy. Be merciful and let that person merge into traffic. Ah, I've hit a nerve eh? All kinds of way to be merciful. But you know where Gods I'm gonna choke up here folks because this is so great. This is so important. you know where God's mercy is seen at its greatest apex at the cross. Because their mercy flows out of those wounds of Christ and covers your sins. If you didn't have goosebumps before, you better have them now. You better have them now. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, it's because Christ took what you deserved. If mercy means that God loves his people, you will find no greater example of that love for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If mercy is tempered by justice, you see God's justice in that he does not let sin go unpunished, but he takes your sins and punishes them on the cross. You may hopefully in time. Hear me speak again. When you do, you'll find out I'm in love with the Heidelberg Catechism. And in Lord's Day 4, verse 10, questions 10 and 11, we're asked, will God permit such disobedience and rebellion go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with the sin we're born with as well as our actual sins. God will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternity. But isn't God also merciful? God certainly is merciful, but he is also just. He is just as demands that sin committed against his supreme majesty be punished with the supreme penalty. And that penalty is what Christ experienced for you on that cross. I hope you caught something of the meaning, the manner, and the manifestation of mercy. And I hope and pray that this gives you a greater love for, for what God has done for you and for who he is. Bow with me now in prayer. Father, this prayer is going to be short. It's going to be a simple thank you. Thank you for your mercy that you have given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.